Welcome to Secondhand Movies. I am your co-host Morgan with Joe, the other co-host. And we are going to talk today about Life is Beautiful. So I'd never seen Life is Beautiful. This was a recommendation to me by Joel. And, uh, well, you, you said that you have never seen the second half of Life is Beautiful. This is true. So this movie came out in the late 90s. And so I was about nine years old, maybe, when this started coming out on video. I was maybe 10 or 11. It, if I remember right, it, it came out and then it didn't really get popular until... Right. Like a year or two later. Right, because it went to the Academy Awards yeah. and it was highly nominated and won for Best Foreign Film, but it was also directed, or nominated for, I think, Director and Best Picture Overall, maybe. And it, Best uh, Script, had, I want to say. And, yeah, it had tons of awards. And it would have won more, except for it was the same year of Saving Private Ryan. So, yeah, kind of, kind of blew it out. And there was another movie or two that were actually like pretty well regarded. Was that same year as Gladiator? So, I mean, Something like that. Maybe yeah. Gladiator was next year, yeah, but that, the, it was in, a pretty loaded year. Yeah, the end of the 90s, was there were some really great movies. That's true. A couple of good years for movies yeah. in general. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was one that I watched, and I I certainly didn't catch everything that it caused an adult, even, even from the first half, but... It was enjoyable as a kid from what I remembered, but it's one that I never felt like going back to revisit because I just had heard from everybody how emotionally tear-jerking the last, you know, half of the movie is. <laughs> and and to be fair, they're not wrong. <laughs> no, they're but, not. But at the same point in time, like, that's not the emotion I felt walking away from the movie. I didn't walk away going... Oh man, that's so heavy and blah blah. Yeah, like you walk away happy, in my opinion, for the most part. Oh least. yeah, certainly satisfied and in oh, yeah. a deep sense of joy. I mean, it's a very appropriate title. Life is beautiful. You walk away with this appreciation about life in the sense that life can have joy to it, and that that joy is not tied to a circumstance. So it's a very hopeful movie. So I definitely ended it feeling uplifted. Now. For me, the difficult, hard emotional stuff was there. It just wasn't the end for me. Even though the end has a bittersweet quality, most of it for me was just the initial injustice. That was just like, I was like under, like in my head, just saying all sorts of angry things. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was quite, I was like, if you don't hate Nazis, <laughs> I was like, "How do you do this to humans?" Like, right, do dude. Yeah, it is. it's it's a tough movie. Um, Definitely is, but it's good. It's so good, man. It, it is. It is. It is a good movie, and it's a good reminder that your response to situations is just that. Like, you can go through awful things, and you can choose your response, and. You don't have to choose 
to see the worst and the negative and to hate it all. And, but you can lean into the factors that are your strengths and you can have a perspective that allows you to find moments of joy or beauty or at, at the very least some kind of mission, you know, because obviously, you know, the main part of that is this mission to protect his family in the only way he can, which primarily is through his wit and humor and yeah. playfulness. Oh, yes. And he doesn't do it just for his son, although that's the the bulk of it. He also does it for his wife, which is such a sweet gesture. The couple of times he's able to give her some some kind of gesture that I'm still alive. I'm here. I see you. I'm thinking about you. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're sweet gestures. And so in general, I actually really understand what your parents saw in why they wanted you to see it because it is a really good primer uh, in my opinion to show people here's what's going on without necessarily requiring a ton of content you know there's yeah. no there's no graphic violence there's no nudity there's no. like no strong language that i recall i mean barely anything <laughs> Maybe right. some mild. And, well, and even if it was, it might have been translated out. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's it's pretty minimal, if anything, and yeah. and probably also a bit jocular in its delivery. It's not real serious, even. And while some of the atrocities are made clear, yeah. are very strongly hinted at, or we see certain aftermaths, such as the pile of clothes and such. Right. That's. As a child, whatever your child's understanding's at, yeah. I think they'll kind of take that whatever. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of kids might get the broad strokes of the story, right. and they'll miss some of those nuances. They may not realize what that is. So I just want to—we're starting to get into the sorry the, the depth of this movie, and we just wanted to kind of go over kind of more of oh, sorry. what this movie was all about. It is about a man falling in love— starting a family, and then because he is Jewish, he and his son are taken to a, a Italian, which there was only one Italian concentration camp, apparently, historically, historically. going to a Italian um, Gestapo-run Italian-based um, concentration camp. Yes. That would be the nutshell story. Yes. And it's very much divided into two halves. Yes. Where he is... Single, moved to a city, ends up meeting his wife, pursuing her, pursuing some stuff. And then we skip forward. They've had a son. We get a little bit of their life together as a family. And then everything goes sideways and they're at the concentration camp. Mm -hmm. There's little nuggets here and there and little hints of kind of what's to come. And I mean, again, as... As, as with Dunkirk, we kind of already know what kind of happened mm -hmm. uh, just from history. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it does. it. So, as Morgan was saying, it does kind of, just so you, listeners know the content of this movie, you know, if they want to show their young teenagers. I don't, I don't know what age. Uh, my parents... They let me watch this movie through and through, aside from the scene where 
he's walking home uh, after waiting. So where it shows there's a he he gets lost in the fog. Oh, and he accidentally stumbles on a pile of bodies, of uh, burned bodies. Um, yeah, I kind of forgot that shot's in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so they wouldn't, they would like cover my eyes or whatnot. Right. You know, nothing to listen to necessarily. I mean, and but, you would have been what, maybe like eleven. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I mean, what? We're only like a year apart, two years apart. Year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Your birthday's in January. I'm in June, so a year and a half. Year and a half. So, yeah, probably right around in there. Um, and I think honestly, that's about the bubble. I mean, it depends on the kid. I, I would say somewhere in that ten to thirteen range is probably the the low end. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on your kid and how much they're already aware of the history. Yeah. How sensitive they are to the topic. How sensitive they are to just human suffering in right. general. Because yeah. again, most of this it's, isn't graphic, but no, it's emotionally. It's, it's content. Yeah. Like, it's very much the themes. Yeah. It's. I mean, like, there's even, I remember talking to my parents, uh, there's a scene where uh, Guido is the father, and he's, this is in the second half of the movie, and uh, he's running his own bookstore at this point, and he had to leave his son to run the bookstore. His son's only, like, five or six. Yeah. And he's just like, hey, run the bookstore. I have to go off with these men. And I remember talking to my parents about it and being like, why did he have to go off with those men? Mm. And so they had to like kind of explain it to me a little bit. Well, (laughs) and I'm not going to explain it, but you know. I was kind of curious what your parents would have said. uh, I mean, I don't remember exactly what they said, but you know, they, they said something probably along the lines of like, you know, those are... You know, we we don't know exactly what happened, but, you know, because he's a Jew and he was oppressed, Mm -hmm. he had to go pay taxes and he may have been beaten up and he may have, you know. Been interrogated. Been interrogated and, yeah. You know, he was just treated unjustly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's all sorts of little things like that. The green horse. Right. Which I remembered the green horse, but obviously I didn't. I didn't really comprehend the writing on the horse. Yeah, that yeah. it's referring to. You know, this is a Jew, basically. Yeah. It was a did, Jewish horse. Did your copy uh, give you uh, subtitles for the horse? What it said on the horse? I don't think so because I watched the Italian with the overdub, so I don't remember if it said exactly what it, the horse. Yeah, it just says Jewish horse. On okay, it, and then yeah. they painted it green because it says Octung. Um, yeah, I forget what he. I forget what the word is for Jewish, because Octung is like this is basically, or yeah. it, I mean, it, it's slang. It's used in slang, like Octung Baby is famously the U two album and stuff. So it's kind of got a. It's kind of used colloquially, I believe, but in that term, I just remember seeing Octung, and I was like, I know that word, right? Yeah, lots of small oppressions. The yeah. gr- the Green Horse, I remember as a kid, just because like that's such a striking visual. Oh yeah. Like and you as a kid you're like why is that horse green? Yeah, ah ha ha, that's funny a green horse. <laughs> I remember thinking that. Yeah, yeah, I think I was along those lines. I don't know if it was just because it was in a different language, if it was dubbed or or what, but I yeah. didn't really remember much of the story 
it was just certain scenes. I'd go, oh, I remember this scene. I remember that thing. Yeah. But I certainly didn't, even the first half, didn't remember. Yeah, sorry. There's just a lot that I actually picked up watching it this next time. Um, Because it's it's been a a minute since I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I I think this is a movie you definitely should be watching probably like once every, you know, four or five years. Um, Just because it's, one, it's that good. And two, it's just an important part of history. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the things that I did pick up on watching it this time was whenever he's pursuing Dora mm-hmm. and he finds out she's a teacher at the school and he's waiting and he f- figures out the inspector. Mm-hmm. And so he ends up impersonating the inspector and they're like, oh, no, you have to give an imp- a presentation. Right. And he's just like, what? Oh, 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 what do I have to give a presentation on? And he's just like, how our race is superior. Right. And it's like, you have to give the most racist speech ever. And it's like, And oh. he's very clearly Jewish, <laughs> yeah. which made it all like so much funnier. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And, you know, and he like, this is the beauty of this movie, though, is like he ended up doing it, presenting it into a way that's so hu- humorous. Mm hmm. Like, for himself, you know, for the viewers. I mean, yeah, it's great. And it took me a minute to, while I was watching, I was trying to decide for for a little bit. I don't know exactly. Is this him all the time? That That sort of wit, charm, disarming humor, funny, everything's kind of a joke, everything's a little silly. Is this just him all the time? Is this him kind of turning it on and off? Like this is what he's like when he wants something or he's trying to, you know, so he's kind of a persona, like an amplified version of himself. Is this just, he's really excited about life. So he's kind of manic, but he kind of calms down or, you know, is he kind of one of those, you know, there's a, there's a tradition of like the heroic idiot, (laughs) like for lack of a, it's probably butchering the term. Like I was, I couldn't remember, so I kept watching it, going, "What is this exactly?" And for me, I came to the conclusion that he's very intelligent, and he just has a lot of wit and a lot of energy, and so it just comes out as comedic and jokes and clowning around to an yeah. extent, but almost that clumsy slapstick humorous. Very much, but he is very aware of it as the character. I don't mean the director, obviously. The director-writer is very aware of it. But the character, how much is he supposed to be aware of some of this? Yeah. For the most part, I think he's very aware that he just, he kind of, he does live a little bit in his own world bubble, but not entirely. He's definitely aware of his surroundings and the world and things. Um, But... One of the things that the movie kind of does consistently, with a couple of exceptions, I would say, um, but certainly in the first part, it kind of gets away with no consequences for Guido. Like he kind of does things that are over the top and crazy, and then it just moves on. <laughs> like yeah. things happen, it's like he breaks something and it just eh. It's like you just ruined all of that. Meh. It just moves on. Like it's very consequence kind of free. Yeah, And I don't think that's trying to present that he necessarily lives without consequences or that he's 
so like in his bubble world that he doesn't realize it. I think it's just meant to sort of reinforce the fact that this is on one hand a realistic story, but on the other hand, there is sort of an element of of fairy tale, fable, heightened reality kind of component. It's just showing you what it wants to show you. If that makes sense. That that's how I took it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's going to be some consequences eventually at some point. Well, I I mean like when he t- he like ruins the felt. Like when he he's wooing Dora and they're caught in the rain and he she's using the cushion as an umbrella and he rolls out the red carpet for her literally. All I'm thinking is like his friend so lost his job. <laughs> 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 like I was like I would be so mad. Like, I'm just envisioning you and I. It's like, Joel's like, I left this stuff in my car. You can borrow my car. I'm like, all right, cool. And it's like, Ash and I get stuck somewhere, and I just trashed everything. And I went to you the next day. I'm like, so. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I am either going to lose my job, going to have some serious lost pay, or I'm going to kill you. Yeah. I haven't decided. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It it you are right. It doesn't necessarily show the consequences of doing that necessarily. But, right, which is um, in keeping with the tone. It's fine. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. There, I mean, <laughs> there. I mean, there's several things that are hilarious throughout the movie that, I guess, in a way are are consequential, but and like end up being humorous. Uh, like the switching of the hats, you know, all throughout it. Like it's it's pretty hilarious, and then. You know, it ends up working out for him, and he ends up using it to his advantage. And I think that's more of what the director and the writer were trying to get at was more of. I, I mean, I I said this in the first part. The whole concept of this movie is supposed to be like this guy has stuff, bad things that happen to him. And he still s- finds a way to have joy out of it mm-hmm. and see the good part of yeah. life and how life is beautiful. So I think that's the whole reason. Mm-hmm. But, I-, I mean, it's a good observation, I think, because that's not how real life is. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And and so, yeah, I was. that's part of the reason I was watching it, just kind of going, okay, is... Where's this coming from? And and then as you get into the second half, I think it's a lot clearer that this is that he is aware because it becomes a choice. It's not a default. You kind of see him switching it on for his son. And then you just yeah. see him sort of embrace that. And so, you know, like the greatest example in some ways is probably overlooked, you know. He's just a chatterbox while they're carrying these, you know, heavy items, this anvil, you know. And he's like, I'm going to open an anvil factory and sheesh, I'm going to fall apart. You know, he's he's not necessarily making jokes, but he is just talkative. <laughs> right. And way too perky, you know, uh, for the circumstance. But at the same point in time, for me, I sort of saw it as him embracing he doesn't have weapons, you know, he doesn't have a gun or a sword and you get, does, I don't, I don't think he says this, but if he did, I, I'm blanking that he says it. 
But in my mind, I just really had this thought. I was like, if he had a machine gun, he would shoot all the guards and they would escape. But he doesn't. So what does he have? He has humor. Yeah. And and for me, I just had this idea that I really clung to, and it, it impacted me of that, like, humor, comedy, wit, charm. Like, these are these are really valid ways to respond to really bad situations. And I, I understand that that's not a hundred percent rule, but for me, I, I tend to err towards becoming sort of serious and adult nowadays. Like as an adult, I'm like, okay, I got to take care of this stuff. I get serious. And, and I'm like seeing, seeing somebody kind of swing the other way to choose his weapons to be his charm and his wit and his humor to both protect his son, but also to sort of engage the world that he's around. For me, it was actually very inspiring and was like, you know, I could, I could incorporate some of that. You know, obviously this is a version that I'm not going to go that far, but it's okay maybe to embrace some of that side of myself and let myself in these tough moments, it's okay to have some of the humor come out or some of the natural, yeah. you know, everybody has their natural tendencies. I do tend to chat. I do become chatty. I do talk. And it was like, hey, maybe it's okay to embrace some of that even in the midst of really bad things or really serious things. Yeah. But again, he, he's really doing it deliberately. It's, it's a choice. It's not just 100% default. It's obviously easier for him than a lot of people. But he is leaning into that and saying, all right, I am going to be okay with this. And and obviously the brilliance of the game and making <laughs> it fun for his son and getting him to follow the rules. Uh, one of the most heartbreaking moments with his son for me is when he talks about not wanting to take a shower. Oh, I know. <sighs> because, you know, on one hand you're like, oh, this is his salvation. The kid's not going to die. The other hand, you see the dad at first be like, go take a shower. And you're like, no, no, no. Right. <laughs> like, we know, but he doesn't know. Yeah. A and then you see him kind of just make, embrace the fun of it, you know, and just like, his, he's really more concerned with his son not being around the work and the serious stuff. So he just kind of makes a joke about it and makes it fun again. And the kid, just hides and it's no big deal in the end of it and you know obviously he realizes later that that was very much a blessing um and it's also a testament just good writing i mean they set that up <laughs> and it's it's a fun moment in the first half when he doesn't want to bathe and they make a joke and it's a nice moment with the family and then later you know it's a small thing that ends up being one of the ways he is saved. Yeah. Mean, it's not the only moment where he has to escape danger, but it's it's one of them. Yeah. It's a big one. You know, th I think that was another part that hit me more now than it did as a kid, you know, because I'm just like, no, not the showers. <laughs> you know, as a kid, I'm like, oh, no, I feel your pain, dude. <laughs> but now I'm just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as a kid, you're like, don't take the shower. <laughs> Solidarity. And as an adult, you're like, don't take the shower. 
Yeah. Well, and you're also realizing that the uncle's there too. Yeah. And so you're just yeah, like, I say we oh. forgot to mention the uncle. Yeah, it actually shows him uh starting to get undressed in in the chamber and mm-hmm. he's about to enter it and then it kind of cuts away from there, but yeah. And he's uh, being polite till the end. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes. Yeah, the and uh, I feel like the uncle knew. He he knew something was up. Yeah, he knew something was up. There were people entering that shower and not exiting. Yeah, so yeah. he, he kind of knew. Yeah, you know the officer tripped on nothing, so yeah. he kind of knew. You know yeah. they they were smart. Yeah, they were you a smart definitely. Family. You definitely get the indication. He he knew. He, he wasn't gonna fight. Yeah, he, he, he was old. He he knew his time was up. Yeah, yeah. He, he was like, I'm either gonna die here or they're taking me somewhere to die. You know. Yeah. This this isn't just a shower. I don't know what this is, but obviously it's something dangerous and probably the death of me. Yeah. <sighs> Rough. Yeah. There's there's moments like that. Yeah. Are hard. I honestly, the angriest I think I got was when they're taken initially, because. It's the kid's birthday. They're going to have a family celebration. His grandma's going to see him and really be with him for the first time. Yeah. And the mom had left to pick up the grandma. And they're they're arrived at the house, and she walks around. And at first, my thought was that it was a similar scene as earlier where they'd had some thieves come in and take some stuff, which in hindsight was probably anti-Jewish, you know, anti-Semitic attack. Yeah. You know, he just says, oh, there was thieves, blah, blah. And it's like, they didn't steal anything. They just roughed him up. So it's like, oh, that's what that was going on. Okay. Yeah. You realize that later. Yeah. So at first I thought it was something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It definitely gives that impression. And then you realize they're just gone. And then you, they cut to them just being herded off. And that, oof, that broke something to me, man. I was so mad. Is that as far as you saw? As a kid? Uh, I I think, honestly, like when she walks into the greenhouse, yeah, I think that was probably the last thing I saw. Gotcha. So, like, the night that he runs off with her and she goes in the greenhouse, he picks the lock, and then it transitions, and the kid's there with his tank playing. I think that's all. Oh, okay. Now, may- maybe they let me watch a little further. I don't remember for sure. But um, yeah. that might have been it. It definitely ramps up from its anti-Jew after that part. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. And, but yeah, when they're in the truck just driving off, it's just, it's so unfair because like everything else has been sort of a slow ramp up. Like you can see the signs and see the warnings and then they're just taken out of their home. Yeah. It's, there's something so evil about that. It's not like this was some voted on policy by the populace. You know, it's it's not like this is a series of bad decisions per se. There's just no warning to it. It's just one day they're there, they're going yeah. about their normal life. They're not even in fear. Yeah. They're just doing the normal stuff. They're having they're gonna have a lunch. They're gonna have a dinner, just like normal. Just like we've already seen them do. And then they're just gone. I I cannot convey the depths of just flat-out rage and emotion I felt 
in that unfairness. Yeah. I mean, um, it definitely, I mean, I can't, I wasn't around for then, but I mean, it definitely was unfair to them back then. So I, he definitely did a good job of conveying that emotion. You know, I think the second sucker punch of the movie, that's probably one of the hardest things to, to take is early on, he's a waiter at a fancy restaurant. And there's this one day that you meet this doctor and, ah. and they are always playing riddles. Yeah. And I, I did want to make a comment about that. Cause you were talking about his intelligence mm-hmm. and I think that the riddles really expounds his intelligence yeah. And to be able to problem solve, think quickly, yeah. see unusual solutions. The the doctor, this doctor, he tells him riddles uh, as a waiter. Right. And there's nothing overtly kind of stated, but he does comment about he has to go back to Berlin. He's a doctor. And so, you know, if you're, you know your history, there's kind of an assumption of he's probably in the government. They yeah. kind of get that vibe, you know, and he's visiting Italy and, you know. So draw your conclusions. He's probably a Nazi of some kind. It's not a hundred percent clear in that scene, but they're very friendly. You know, it's it's he compliments Guido and some of those things, and so you're like, okay, you know, nice, yeah. great. And then he ends up being the doctor inspecting all the prisoners, and when he gets to Guido, Guido recognizes him and and references one of the riddles. One of the they... riddles, and the doctor recognize and he calls over the nurse and you know and then you you have another scene he explains yeah he wants me to be a waiter at this big dinner they're doing and so you're like okay this is this is good right yeah and he ends up dropping on the floor to get guido over by him and says we have something important to discuss and okay okay and he says you know meet me over here blah blah and his son's in the room with all the kids just happen to pretend to be German or Italian or whatever, so he's quiet, so he's not talking. Yeah. I guess German, because, yeah, he doesn't speak German. Yeah. And so he's trying to pass him off. There's even a great scene where the kid, I'm trying to remember what he says. He said, uh, grazie. That's right. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Yeah, he's like, grazie. And so he has to, Guido, again, problem solving outside the box, you know, he starts running around to all the kids saying, grazie, 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 getting them all to chant it. And so when the... When the Germans come back in, they see all the kids just chanting, grazie, grazie, and they're like, oh, yeah. it's just a stupid waiter. Yeah. Like, it's not this kid. He's this already is... been in trouble once or twice. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. at this kid that can't speak German. Yeah. And so they leave him alone. But he does meet with the officer, and the officer tells him a riddle that's been bugging him. For years or something yeah, like that. Weeks, I think. Weeks. He's like, hey, I can't sleep and all this stuff. And it's like. And just Guido just deflates because he realizes, oh, this isn't salvation. I thought this was salvation. Yeah. And I think that's the emotion I felt. It's just that deflation. It, more than anger, you just yeah. realize, oh, this is another one of them. Yeah. Like, I, he's not different. I feel like that's the first time that he really it shows his defeat because I feel like in any other instance he would have – he would have solved that riddle for the doctor. Sure. But he didn't. He just looked at the doctor like, are you kidding me right now? Mm-hmm. Are, are, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, he finishes out the night and grabs his son and takes him back to the camp. Well, he forgot one thing. What's that? He plays the music for his wife. Oh, yes. Yes. That was the other thing. One of the few little tidbits that you were saying, you know. Yeah, that's that's the other thing that was unexpected to me is the couple of times he is able to do something and connect with his wife. He 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 sees her I think getting off the train he or, or getting on the train. Yeah. Getting he, on the train, yeah. Yeah, his wife, you know, finds out they get captured and she's then, not she's not Jewish. Yeah, and she, you know, she's on her way to go pick up her mother to go have you know, her birthday with her grandson. Mhm. And, you know, they come home, find that they're taken. And so she immediately goes to the the train station where yeah. where they were been taken to. And she's like, there's been a mistake. You know, let me have my son back. Right. My son and my husband back. And, you know, they wouldn't let them out. And so she's like, fine, let me on. Yeah. I, I can't. I... <laughs> I debated I, several times. Is that the right choice? Is that the choice I'd want my wife to make? I, that's what I was about to ask. As a father, you know, with children, you know, if you were in that position, <laughs> that I mean, that's tough. You know, I'm sure he he didn't want that for him. I for mean, her either. Knowing what I know, I wouldn't want her to go because there's nothing she could do. Yeah. She might be able to do something outside of it, but well, maybe. and I mean, from her perspective, I could understand it because maybe she thinks we'll be together. You know, it's like we might be in jail or at a camp, but at least we'll be together. Yeah, you know, at least I'll see them, or at least I can be with them, and whatever happens, happens. You know, I understand that perspective, and so I sort of have to assume that that's bit of her perspective is she's like I don't want to lose track of them so at least being where they are you know maybe I'll see them some and I can kind of keep tabs on them and if they get moved I'll know and if they die I know you know just I'll know right so from that perspective absolutely I can understand why she wouldn't let it go I mean you gotta also remember this is like 1930s 1940s you can't just track people down yeah communication it was hard to track people down back then yeah so it's a little different perspective in terms of knowing what I know, I would absolutely not want her to come because I'm like, first of all, there's nothing you can do. You're just going to suffer. We're not going to be together. We're not going to see each other. There's nothing I can give you. Yeah. You know, there's nothing you can give me by being here. Uh, so if you stay home, then at least I know you're safe. I think that would be my response. However, from her perspective, I think I could see why she got on the train. And whether or not, as a spouse, I would like that or not, I would also respect that, I mean, she made her choice, and her choice was her family. And, I'm, you know, you cannot help but respect that decision. Yeah. It's an honorable choice. It's It's not one that I think a lot of people would make, Nowadays, and I think it says something about the durability of the family unit at that time in history as compared to where we are now. Yeah. Um, 
you know, if the roles were reversed and it was my wife and kids on the train, I, I don't know what I would do, man. Cause <laughs> it's, it, it's a tough tr- question. Because again, part really of is. part of me would think, well, if I jump on the train, what can I do to help? If I don't go on that train, what can I do to help? I mean, it's not that it's not motivated by self-preservation. It's motivated by, okay, if I get on the train, what am I doing? I'm, I can do this. I can do this. You know. Versus if I stay here, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? You know, that yeah. that's how my brain approaches it. It's very much as much as possible based off a of historical, my personal behavior, you know, to some extent, it's going to come down to a certain amount of just logic, pragmatism, that if I really know I can't do anything if I do this, but I can do a lot if I do this, you know, I might, I might choose that. Doesn't mean I'm happy with that choice. Yeah. Um, but that's not a guarantee either. Right. I can postulate all I want. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it, again, that's that's an impossible question that I asked, so it's kind of unfair. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I've, I mean, I've asked myself those kinds of questions from time to time and other, other scenarios, and I, I think that's part of the benefit of these types of movies. They do allow you to consider choices that you can't really make in life and you're not really sure how you would process them and it just shows you a way to process them yeah does it make it right or wrong it doesn't guarantee your own behavior but that's a big part of watching movies i think and stories in general is we are allowing ourselves to explore what could be we're telling ourselves the narrative to guide our actions more and more I realize that my life is ultimately guided by what narrative I'm telling myself Uh, I can have the very similar set of circumstances and I can tell myself it'll never get better and this is man I'm in the same place I was years ago and blah 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 and all of a sudden I'm negative and critical and angry and unhappy and all of my all of my bad things are amplified. Yeah. Or I can do the opposite. And I can yeah. tell myself a totally different story and narratively and go, I am learning these things and oh, you know, maybe I'm going through the same circumstance, but now I'm a different person. And so the fact that I'm even thinking and recognizing this is a, a cycle I'm in. Well now I can get out of you know. So it's like I could have the same stuff happening that's a problem and I can react totally different because I believe a totally different narrative to my life. And that's why I think seeing this type of film is so powerful, especially I personally think, again, this is a really good movie to show younger viewers. And by younger, I just mean, you know, some kind of teenager probably yeah. to preteen, preteen to teenager because – one, they're very impressionable still. And so I think this is a good impression to make on them. Very. And secondly, it shows them the power of you can go through the worst things and still maintain the core of who you are. Yeah. And your core values and your core principles and find a way through awful things, you know. Yeah. A lot of a lot of the attentions made on the father because he has the interaction with the son, but Doris is doing the same thing. 
Now, she maybe doesn't make the jokes and we don't spend much time with her story, but every time we see her, she is soldiering on. She's doing what she's needing to do to survive. She is doing what's required of her to stay alive. And at the end, she goes back to taking care of her son and she is joyful at seeing her son and surviving. And like she does the same thing. You know, we take Guido's story with him, but, you know, she's in her own way doing the exact same journey. Yeah, just a kind of a different point of view. The one thing I I couldn't remember if they let me see like the last scene or something. I feel like maybe maybe I saw the kid getting picked up at the end. I I couldn't remember. But for whatever reason, I think I knew that about Guido dying. But I didn't know necessarily the circumstances. That was one thing that's probably in some ways even a harder choice for me that It's like, if he didn't go try to find Doris, did he live? Does he only die because he tries to find Doris? What was he really trying to to do? That's actually, I actually struggle more with that whole process because, again, it just feels really unfair. It's like, he shouldn't have died. He survives all of this, takes care of his son the whole time, and then he makes this impetuous decision. And to be fair... He's made impetuous decisions before, and they worked out okay. This is the one time he kind of has consequence. Yeah. <sighs> I was actually just about to say that. <laughs> I, I could see it in your eyes. You're like, I'm going to say the consequence thing. I'm like, I'm, I know, I know. Yeah. And, I was just trying not to give too much spoilers, but. Well, I figured we're already talking about it. No, you're fine. I was going to say, this is, so this is a very popular movie, um, it is IMDb's number 26 of all time. Really? I didn't realize it was top, that high. Top movies. Yeah. I don't, um, I'd don't. have to sit down and rank it. I don't know. Yeah. Not grossing. No, no, no. This is just their... Like the overall ranking o- of overall, how good of a movie. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. how popular a good of a movie, I guess. Yeah. So it's, it's way up there. I think it's... Um, I want to say it's the, it's definitely in the top like five for foreign films. I don't know what would be number one. I didn't look up like foreign necessarily, but yeah, I know it's definitely up there as far as foreign films go. I mean, the spaghetti westerns are going to be up there uh, as far as foreign films. I would say because like Good, Bad, and the Ugly, few dollars more if it's full dollars. Like those, that trilogy is all in Italian, overdubbed. Uh, like everybody except for Clint Eastwood's basically Italian. Didn't realize that. Or or European. But yeah, Sergio Leone, he's Italian. And so those movies, um, I would definitely say like Kurosawa movies, Yojimbo and uh Seven Samurai, things like that. Yeah. I know, yeah, I know Seven Samurai is way uh, up there. But and it, and there's like City of God and Amelia's really well regarded yeah. um French film. Yeah, but it's definitely up there. I would imagine it would be top 25 of foreign. It might be, there's a strong case it might be top 10. I, I Again, well, I mean, if it's top. Right, it's probably. <laughs> if it's already top 26, or yeah. number 26. I don't know how <laughs> much it moves up if you're just looking at foreign. Cause, yeah, I'm not sure either. Because, yeah, there's definitely in cinephiles, there's a lot of 
there's definitely a lot of Japanese yeah. classics. There's definitely some Italian classics. Um, yeah. Some some out of Spain and South America. Yeah. Some out of South Korea. Um, of course, there are, there's some from the Middle East and Russia and other places as well. I mean, all over the world, there's there's almost everywhere in the world has at least a film that's like in a top 100 cinephile kind of listing, um, yeah. or at least a graphic region, yeah. um, for the most part. So I I don't know, but that's interesting that it's it's ranked that high. Just generally speaking, for a predominantly Western audience that's english speaking broadly yeah well it again this is one of those movies uh that was translated it originally was Mm -hmm. italian yeah um it was made for italian there's actually the italian version i've actually seen the italian version um there's a few extra scenes in there and his best friend from the first half Mm -hmm. um it actually there's a scene where it shows him dying Oh, by a death squad. That was so, definitely not in the version I watched. No, it wasn't in not not the w- version I watched either. I forget where I found that version, huh. but I have seen it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple other scenes though. It's like an extra, like twenty minutes longer or something like that. That's well, pretty substantial. Yeah. Yeah, it's ten or, ten, ten to fifteen minutes, maybe twenty. So it's. Yeah, so it, yeah, predominantly Italian, so it's it is very good. Well, we we've talked about the more heavy tragic side of this, but yes. even in the midst of that, this is very much a comedy. It's I I would put it as a comedy first, uh, and then yeah. a drama, and then like suspense. I mean, probably I would call it a dramedy. Yeah, like that's the yeah that might be you merge them and they call it a dramedy. It. It's very dramedy in that there's some serious drama. It is it, and it and it kind of combines both the the in the Greek terms of classic uh comedy versus tragedy. Tonally there wasn't a whole lot of difference in some regards. A lot of it just had to do with the ending. Right. Like the comedies are happy endings, tragedies are bad ending. And this one's kind of bittersweet. It's a bit of both. So yeah. That's the whole movie is that there's these little hints or these these moments of serious heavy things yeah. sprinkled throughout which we've already talked about. We haven't even talked about the comedy parts. But but yeah, it's it's like the ratio of comedy to serious at the beginning is like 10 to 1. Oh yeah. And by the end it's Hilarious. still there. It's just, you know, it's probably a little like it's not quite flip ten to one. I would yeah. say it's like maybe like a seven to three. Yeah. Like it's serious to funny. But at the beginning, I mean, it is mostly laughs. Oh yes. And and silly and sweet and very charming. Very yeah. charming. Like oh, yes. that's that's probably the word for it most. Yeah. So, you know, watching this as a kid, um, I don't know about your family necessarily, but uh we quoted that movie almost as much as we quoted Princess Bride. I I don't remember it making too much into our quotable vernacular. There was a couple of things. I don't remember how much we quoted it, but the the go to sleep thing always yes. stuck out for me. Yes. I yeah. I think my parents talked about that before <laughs> I watched it. <laughs> my parents would always just be like, "We come up to a red light." 
Turn green. Turn green. Turn green. <laughs> it's working. It's working. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. They, they would always just do stuff like that. It, you know, so it just, it was so great. Uh, yeah. Uh, my, I remember my dad always coming in and coming home from work and just, you know, yelling, Buongiorno, Pritzkepeska. And, you know, make my mom smile and everything. Sure. And, you know, it's definitely a big part. I feel like this also started a bit of an Italian slash wine journey <laughs> for your parents, as I recall. Yeah, that was right around that time. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that, like, Italian verb verbiage became a little more of a thing, and all of a sudden y'all had a little small wine rack, and... <laughs> <laughs> it, it became bigger. <laughs> and bigger, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember I remember that a little bit. Uh, I hope they listen to this. <laughs> I, I hope so, too. It was fun. The uh yeah, I mean it's their their first meeting and Yeah. Like you said, his speech, the you know, he, he's he, he has to get away from somebody, he's on the bike and falls under her and yeah. he's like, We've gotta stop meeting this way, basically. Right. And the eggs. No, oh, yeah, the just the yeah, there's lots of gags. I oh, mean, yeah. obviously there is a lot of what you said, slapstick. There's a lot of slapstick gags throughout the movie that are fun and he, he just, and stuff. And, and see, like, that's, like, okay, a big thing. Like, he uses stuff around him, mm -hmm. and he just uses it to his advantage. Like, the key. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. key part, like, I always just loved that part, yeah. you know? Well, and it's, it's, it's something you notice because they do it at least two times before. Yeah. He... And you're just kind of like, okay, interesting tidbit about the yeah. village, you know, because the man just always has to yell for the key and the Maria, wife does. Yeah, the key. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, you know. And he almost gets hit by it. Yeah. Or yeah. he does get hit by it. Like, so ah. you're just not thinking much about it. And then he all of a sudden says something and you're like, oh my gosh, he's really going to do this. And then he, <laughs> he's like, Maria, the key. You're like, oh my gosh, that's, okay, that's impressive. Good, good way to spin that. <laughs> Very clever. Very, Very clever. clever. Yeah, and the uh, hat switching again. <laughs> always that switching, right? I I love also when she just slinks down underneath the table to go meet him at the party. She just like looks around. She's like, whoop, right? Just melts down and uh, goes up to him. She just. You can just tell, like, she's so clearly taken with him. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite scenes, just from a performance, is I love when he's he's training as a waiter and he does the menu. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he, he's just getting to perform. You know, it's 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 basically like a stand-up routine. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's just, because he's kind of moving side to side, you know, pretending to be the waiter, pretending to be the client. and. You know, what about this? The chicken? Oh, well, we serve it. Blah, 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 and this. And he's like, what about this? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, how do we serve the, the lobster? Uh, <laughs> he starts describing the way to yeah, he's prepare like, the chicken again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, his, his uncle just goes from a smile to uh, like, ah, oh, 
Come like on. we just serve it basically. <laughs> I was like, see, it was too simple. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he is serving the guy that comes in late and he, he subtly phrases all the menu stuff to make him order what the oh, guy yeah. next to him has that yeah. he doesn't want to eat because he's so busy with would the you, riddle. Would you like the very, 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 very fried mushrooms? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, I just want something light. And he's like, okay, well, we have a salad, a very light salad, or we have some very heavy fried mushrooms with gravy <laughs> and very rich. And he's like, salad. <laughs> and then he like his salmon or you know, like duck, like... Yeah. It's like duck fat. We have fat. the very greasy duck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like salmon, salmon, and he's he's like, would you like some dark beer? Or this like white wine. He's like, the wine is great. Yes. Okay. He just goes over, grabs the other guy's plate, <laughs> sets it in front of him. He's just like, fastest service I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> well, could you imagine? In it, especially in an era before there's fast food. First of all, like there is no fast food. So when he is saying like a light meal and just having. A salad and a protein and a, you know, wine. That is a light meal, first very, of all. Very light meal. That is a snack. Right. A second, 30, 20 seconds to get, like, <laughs> no wonder that man is shocked. Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> Not only is that a fast, you know, magic trick of a dinner, but especially in that culture. <laughs> like, yeah. if you've traveled overseas... That doesn't happen. My wife went on a senior trip to Italy, and that was one of the things that they complained about a lot was how slow dinner was. So they're gone all day sightseeing. They're tired. They just want to eat their food and go relax, right? <laughs> I just want a quick meal. And it's like three hours later. They're like, oh, my gosh, I just want to go. <laughs> and because there's courses, and they expect you to talk. And so they, they're not in a rush. So like they bring out your appetizer, and then 30 minutes later, they're like, all right, we'll bring you something else. And then finally, it's the, the main entree. And then finally, it's dessert. You know, so they're they're sort of tired all the time. You see that so American. Finally. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm like, I would love to have these long, dried-out right? meals that have I, time to eat. Right? And then time to talk. And then time to eat. Like, I'd be great that, with that. That's one of the biggest things I miss is just time to sit there and converse oh, over I know. a meal. Like, it's it's great. Yeah. That's that's one of my favorite things i like i'm always of the opinion like you should finish eating and then talk but i'm getting off my i'm getting on my soapbox and off my story (laughs) (laughs) and i remember the one of the things so you know if you've ever been away from your normal cuisine no matter what your home is your your home cooking if you've been away from that for a few days you you know you're kind of feeling a little like i wish i could have some home food right yeah. And so they've just basically eaten pasta, and they said the pasta's all the same, essentially. They said it was basically the same sauces over and over. So they're just a little tired anyways. And so it made me laugh. Their, like, favorite meal was after a few days of being in Italy, they go to this this place. Uh, I forget. And, and my wife orders a pizza because unlike most of the pizzas, there were, most of them were like the pizza margaritas. You know, it's just mozzarella cheese and tomatoes and simple yeah. stuff. And, and a lot of them are like uncooked too, right? As far as like the toppings? Yeah, like pizzas over there, from what I understand, aren't really cooked. They're raw. 
I mean, I assume the dough is cooked. Well, right, right. The okay. dough is cooked. But then but... they're just like topped. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- probably, yes. Yeah. Much more fresh ingredients. And again, they're not like heavy, more just like cheese and meat. They they tend to be more veggies and yeah. fresh cheese oh, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And so, so anyways, she's just so excited and she tells the story. It just it cracks me up. And it's like of all the things she really remembers from the food is this American pizza she had. But the American pizza wasn't like pepperoni pizza. It was it was actually hot dogs and like steak french fries on the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and she said it was the best thing. Oh, that sounds disgusting. But hey, I mean, if you get a taste of home, you get a taste of home, right? <laughs> well, I have a similar story. We went to Disney World. And we were in Epcot, and we've eaten at a couple of restaurants that are obviously non-American food. And I think the one we had eaten at, the last was the Swedish, I think it was Swedish. And it's a little different food-wise. And, you know, it was good. It was interesting. But I just remember all of us kind of walked away from that meal being like, did you like that particular thing? Did you like that thing? We were all like, no, that thing was weird. <laughs> and <laughs> there were just a few things that were for an American palate yeah. were were less than normal. And we ended up the next restaurant we had because you you know you schedule your meals out in advance at Disney World. Our next meal was to eat at the Land, which is this family style American Southern cookery, basically. Yeah. And so it was like macaroni and cheese it's like all comfort food right <laughs> and we're like this is amazing <laughs> so i've had that experience where you eat something that's kind of out of your normal palate and then you go back to a normal thing you're like this is so good <laughs> and you wouldn't talk about it normally you'd be like yeah i had some macaroni and cheese and there was some you know like fried okra and there was some protein you know i forget what it was maybe it was chicken or something yeah. like you wouldn't write home about it but because you just had whatever it was like smoked fish and yeah. random stuff that wasn't you, normal. You had to clear your palate. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, she ate a bunch of Italian food and then she had a an Italian perspective of American food too, yeah. which is hysterical. Yeah. So, I've never been to like I said, I've never been to Italy. I have traveled once to yeah. Europe. I was, yeah, I was, all right, sorry, I'm interrupting no, no. you here, but Go I ahead. was actually talking to your mom about this. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you went to Austria, you, yes, correct? Ger- yeah. yeah, mostly Austria. We we flew into Germany, so we flew into Fredericksburg over the, you know, the big flight, and then we puddle jumped to Munich, stayed a night in Munich, and then actually, I mean, talking about all this, we went to Dachau which is one of the toughest concentration camps. I mean, it was one of the largest, one of the worst. And I have mixed feelings about this. I actually didn't go in. Yeah. So my parents, I was very young. I, I was... That's what I was about to ask. That's what me and your your mom okay. were talking about, the, the fact that you were young. She didn't remember yeah. exactly how old. Do you remember? She... I would have been... Just short of uh, being ten, I want to say. Okay, see, that's what she said too. She said this you were was, nine or ten. This was spring, and my birthday's in June, so I think this would have been a couple months, like yeah, two to four months before I turned ten. Yeah. So, like, that's that's again, I I 
said this before. That's right around the age I actually watched this movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is like a watered-down version if you actually went into an actual concentration camp. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have any parents there or any, like... You can't go home either. I mean, right. this was a nine-day trip. I think the other thing was that it was at the beginning. So oh, the way man. that the trip was, we we did Munich, and then we were basically driving through Germany to go to Austria. Because we went to Salzburg, then we went to Vienna, and then we went to Innsbruck. And so Salzburg is actually where they filmed a lot of sound and music stuff. Yeah. And then Vienna is the capital. It's uh-huh. it's very metropolitan. It's got a great history. Uh, Salzburg does too, but I mean, just Vienna is classically this very much this artistic center of Europe. And then Innsbruck is this really cool, small town nestled up next to the mountains. You're on the edge of the Alps. Oh. And so... Was, it was probably beautiful. Yeah, and it was, it was such a cool trip, too, because you saw such different versions of the same country. Yeah. Like Salzburg has an old fort and has some of that history. And, of course, the Sound of Music connection was really cool. And we, we hit some cool stops along the way, too. We went to this place called the Abbey of Melk, which you should just look up. It's it, an incredible place. I mean, the the the, the uh, you walk through rooms, and there is just murals on the, the ceilings as you walk through different oh. places. And the sanctuary, tons of stuff is gold leaf plated. Yeah. And it has this... I mean, it's such a cavernous place. You sing, and there's three seconds of echo. And I mean, it's, yes, I've, it's an amazing place. I've seen YouTubes and like videos on it. Okay. Um, I think actually, I remember actually you coming back from that trip and you were talking all did. about it. Yeah. I mean, that Abbey, Abbey of Milk is, is so incredible. I didn't know what it was called, though. That's, that's cool. Yeah, it's worth looking up. And if you ever get a chance to see it in person, do it. It's it's an amazing, incredible place. Yeah. Uh, but, but So anyways, but <laughs> that was the whole trip. And so it was like a nine-day trip. And day two or three, just was. because of how everything landed, is Dachau. And so they're like, oh, if this kid gets messed up by Dachau. <laughs> <laughs> like, Your parents were. Yeah, my parents are... A little worried that the nine-year-old's not going to be able to handle, you know, mass genocide. You know, without without like crying myself it, to sleep well, for the next. Well, I mean, week. and and you don't have any real like warning of it. Like your parents didn't like talk to you about it or anything like that. Well, like, I mean, they kind of did because they said, "Hey, we're not going to have you do this." And so, I mean, if I'd done, I'm sure they would have given me some bit of primer more than they did yeah they gave me enough just to say this is why we're not sure we're comfortable with it and to be fair i think i agreed with it to this day i don't really know i mean i had a great trip so i can't complain in that sense right sounds like it of course there's a part of me that's like i don't know if i'll ever make it back to dachau or if i do it you know it may not be in the next five to ten years so i mean it might be one of those things that it could be legitimately a 30-year gap between me never going to dachau and going to dachau right and that may be exactly what i needed again i don't know it's one it's one of the few things in my life where i really did kind of have a hmm i wonder what that would have been like yeah you know there's not a whole lot of my 
times in my life where I'm like, I really would be curious to see what version A versus version B would be like. <laughs> um, These little multiverses you have? Yeah. Yeah. That would be kind of a fun sliding doors moment. Yeah. And so, but that is my connection with with it. And it's still, I don't know, there's still kind of a an emotional connection, even though I feel like I haven't seen it. In, in my own two eyes in that sense. Yeah. Just being that close to it, I still feel an emotional connection that more than certain things, it still feels very real and present. Could you tell a difference between your classmates or your, I don't know if that's the right word, your classmates mm-hmm. from before they came or before they went and after? I don't think it lasted terribly long. I mean, I think most of us sort of moved on. Gotcha. Uh, and there was a few of us that stayed on the bus. It wasn't like I was the only kid. Yeah. There was four <laughs> or five. And, you and one uh, one camp counselor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that awkward, thankfully. Uh, it wasn't the most jovial crowd that got back on the bus. Yeah, I mean, they I'm weren't sure. cracking jokes. And it was a little somber Yeah, in a good way, I think. You know, looking back, I would say it was probably the appropriate response. I don't really remember anybody crying on the bus or seeming traumatized and i don't remember anybody just being like he's like shut that kid up i'm sleeping you know it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't that level of like again nobody nobody came back just twitching and going i can't handle it i can't handle it yeah and that's probably a testament to the people who designed the monument to find a balance of walking people through that narrative in a way that they could handle yeah so uh, I don't. If are you done? Are you at a good point here? Yeah, I was just. I was just saying. I think for a lot of people that was an impactful part of the trip. Yeah, I don't think it was something we really talked about a whole lot. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think I asked a few questions just because I was curious. Yeah. But not a whole lot of conversation on my end. Uh huh. So, my version, I actually went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington D.C. Um, I don't remember what year that was. Um, it had to have been closer to like 2005. Okay. Um, 2004 ish. Um, but so my, you know, we, we've watched this movie several times, you know, my parents, uh, talked to us about it, you know, and kind of, I don't remember we we had one other thing, and I don't remember what it was, that kind of opened our eyes to it. Maybe maybe it was uh, a history lesson for mm. school. Um, and, you know, mom kind of did a little deep dive on it or something like that. I don't know. Sorry, kind of, I'm not laughing because your mom. I'm laughing because that's a very homeschooler thing to oh, say. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we ended up going to the Holocaust Museum up in Washington D.C., and uh, you know it was one of those things. I don't remember like the whole thing, mm-hmm. but there definitely were like they were real the prisoner uniforms. Oh wow! I want to say like hair mm. and. Like stuff like that, and it you know like kind of weird, <laughs> yeah, 
you know, especially for, you know, I, I think at that time, you know, I may have been, you know, like 14. So I was, again, a, a much older than you were. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I definitely remember, like, leaving there and just, like, we all set, sat down in the van and we just kind of, like, sat there. And we were just, like, quiet. Like, we all just kind of needed to process a little bit, you know. It wasn't, like, kind of like what you were just saying. Like, it wasn't necessarily traumatic, Mm -hmm. you know. Like, I didn't have nightmares after it or anything like that. But it was just, like, heavy. Mm -hmm. And needing to process it. Like, man, like, people actually went through that. Yeah. So, and, and I do remember after going through that we did like watch that movie again and it like was totally different <laughs> like well, yeah brought a totally different light <laughs> like oh man <laughs> yeah i could imagine so i mean it's uh, if you ever get a chance like definitely i i i advise people to go go there but yeah go there under the right pretenses <laughs> like if you have kids like make sure they're proper age <laughs> Uh, I think my, you know, my brother is like two, two and a half, almost three years younger than Mm -hmm. me. Uh, So, yeah, that would make him like uh, 10, 11, 12, somewhere right around in there. If you guys are enjoying this, feel free to email us secondhandmoviespodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're deeply offended, as I am. (laughs) Let us know how we're doing. (laughs) Whether you're offended or not. And uh, give us a rate us up on Spotify or on Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five star rating. Help us spread the word about our podcast. Send it to a movie lover you know. So, our next movie is a fun one. Uh, Personal favorite. And kind of like yours, this is a, a movie that kind of just grabbed her whole family i don't know why exactly movies grab a family but it just hit the right time this was already an older movie when we first saw it it's called undercover blues it's about a married couple who are taking a sabbatical because they had a baby girl and they are taking a sabbatical from being something shall we say their work Oh, you're going to leave it a mystery, huh? I am. Yeah, yeah you have to watch the movie. Ooh. No spoilers. I like it. <laughs> and so, uh, but they are vacationing in New Orleans, which is the first thing I love about the film. I always like films that are taking place in a very specific area. Yeah. So there's a lot of New Orleans culture and locations. And so it's it's fun for that. The couple is played by Dennis Quaid and Kathleen Turner. Uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar with Dennis Quaid. Uh, Kathleen Turner ring a bell? It did. Uh, I don't remember, like, where all I've, like, heard I mean, for for a certain age range, she's probably best known for playing Chandler's dad in Friends. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, she's a good sport about, but that's... (laughs) It's kind of a rough joke. Right? Because <laughs> that is a woman. Um, <laughs> she has this breakout role in Body Heat and then continues to be a presence for a while. But she and Dennis Quaid have, 
I would say really good chemistry. They're really fun. They very much feel like they're a couple. They're together. There's a lot of great actors actually in this. There's lots of character actors that you'll recognize. Yeah. Uh, so you you already said Dennis Quaid, but Dennis Quaid is most familiar to me for the rookie. Yeah. You know. Um, oh, you were just saying he was most familiar. Sorry, I thought yeah. you were going with he was most familiar from like a certain role. That's what. I, oh, so no, the rookie just, is yeah, what you yeah, think yeah. of. There's a couple of policemen, and both of those guys are really good character actors. Um, the one guy, the only like the role I can think of him from is he was like the hairdresser guy, Paulo in um, Paolo, sorry, in the Princess Diary movies. I know that's kind of a random. Stanley Tucci. No, that's a different guy. I'm thinking of a different guy. No, Stanley Tucci's oh. in it. Oh yeah. Oh. No, Stanley is. So he is definitely the hidden gem of this movie. <laughs> that well, Stanley Tucci. Come on, man. Like it's it's Stanley Tucci. Yeah. If Stanley wasn't in this movie, it would still be a fun movie. It'd still be good. Yeah. But Stanley just puts it over the top. Oh, it's yeah. a hammy performance that he is all in for. Stanley Tucci is an incredible screamer. <laughs> He's right up there with the comedy legends. I'm just gonna tell you right now. But his name is Death. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> you haven't even seen the movie and you're getting it. This is great. <laughs> this is so great. Oh, like no. that's pretty much his did, <laughs> did I just spoil the movie and I haven't even seen it? <laughs> no, you're just you're gonna appreciate the gag really quickly. That's awesome. <laughs> Makes me excited, honestly. <laughs> it's kind of a silly movie that has a nice heart because it's really anchored around a loving, supportive, and frankly, effective marriage. They'll joke, and they'll be silly, and they'll goof off, but at the end of the day, like they take care of each other. They take care of their daughter. They take care of their jobs. They do the right stuff. Yeah. And right. so there are people, if you just met them, you know, you kind of write them off, and there's actually kind of a gag about that. They, they, they kind of make friends with uh, another couple, and, you know, they're joshing them around. He, like, he meets them, and they go, Oh, what line of work are you in? He's like, brain surgery, professional brain surgery. <laughs> and he starts talking. He's just obviously, you know, making it up a little bit. And the, the other husband goes, yeah, I read about that in Time magazine. He's like, did you? <laughs> and the <laughs> wife gives us a look of like, now I know where you got this crazy made up story. You read it in the magazine at the doctor's office. <laughs> this honestly sounds a lot like our dad's. <laughs> That's probably why I like humor. it. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I I will get to talk about my umbrella story. My oh, umbrella your stroller from. story. Yes. Yes. It will we all get make to, sense. We get to share that story with the listeners. Yeah. Exciting. Well, a little a little wish fulfillment there. You know, I talked about movie magic dad moment. I kind of got my magic movie moment you know <laughs> just saying it is pg-13 mostly i would say the only caveat for younger viewers it's not particularly scary or intense there is a little bit of language it's very 90s and that like the pg-13 that could have one or two f words it's that kind of a 90s pg-13 so there's yeah. a little bit of language uh in spots it's not crazy there is a little bit of i would say innuendo maybe it's not like presence throughout the whole thing. And a lot of it, honestly, is the married couple. They're just obviously married. Married. 
um, but uh, but yeah, other than that, um, I would say it's pretty relatively tame. Again, most of this is played for laughs. It's not uh, not uh, super intense or scary or frightening or anything weird out of that. Uh, you'll probably get more questions on what is that because it's a 90s thing <laughs> than you will. <laughs> if you watch this with teenagers, you'll be like, what is this random? What was that thing? Like at one, That was a Walkman. <laughs> at one point, they explained what a taser is, and I'm like, I've never seen a taser that looks like that. That's like the taser before the taser. <laughs> like the uh the the bag phones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like this okay, th- I mean this doesn't really ruin a plot point, but there at one point there's a taser and the taser literally has like antennas that they like stretch out into a V and it's like a giant cattle prod basically where there's like two points extended and then the current runs through it and I'm like and they say it's called a taser. <laughs> and every time I see that, I go, that's not the taser I think of. So, I'm, like I said, it's the taser before the taser, apparently. <laughs> All right. I'm always confused by that and the fact that they order six dozen oysters in one scene for two people. Six dozen? I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Oh, Lord. And that's not something you take a doggy bag home for. No. Like, you leave that. Yeah, you eat that or you leave it. You can't save that for later. <laughs> <laughs> They're just playing Russian roulette with salmonella. That's all that's happening. <laughs> Living dangerously. Are you excited about seeing oh, this Oh, I am definitely excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, this, this does sound like a pretty fun movie. Uh, we haven't had a real good chance to have a, a true comedy. Life is Beautiful was a little bit of one, but, you know, it had its... It's very comedic, but it is definitely dramatic undertone. Yes, dramatic undertone. So this will be our first like comedy. Yeah, like, true, true comedy. Yeah, and it it also it's funny in the comedy sense, and it also is very much the like Greek comedy sense. Like it's a happy ending. Like there is there is no there's no sadness <laughs> <laughs> good good <laughs> yes it's very upbeat um yeah lots of lots of fun to be had go in just expecting to have a, a fun time let it be silly don't take it don't take it seriously and i think you'll enjoy it a lot and so yeah that's that's what we're watching next time so as always, thank you for joining us, and we appreciate the listens and the shares. Uh, so we get to share our love of movies with you, and you can share your love of movies with us. So as always, I am Morgan. And I am Joel. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>